very blessed Pascha to everyone, very blessed Eve of Covenant Thursday. Here we are at a very interesting time within the, within the week because I think now we're starting to see a change or a turn in the events. So what do I mean by this? So from the very beginning, I suppose our Lord Jesus Christ went to Jerusalem for the purpose of being an offering and a sacrifice. And of course, the lamb must be prepared in Jerusalem. But interestingly, we don't see in the readings Christ being prepared as much as we are being prepared. And I think today we see a collision between the preparation of mankind for the offering of our Lord Jesus Christ and the response of such. And we see those responses. We see it in Mary of Bethany and we see it with Judas Iscariot and the rest of the Jews that plotted against him. So almost to summarize what we've been through in our very intense and very short Paschal journey, and to go into what we will now face in the remainder of this journey, our main reflection for a few days really has been that fig tree, that fig tree that Christ went, he saw that it had lots of leaves, so he assumed, well, if there's leaves, there's fruit. He's hungry, so he goes to eat from the fig tree, and he finds that there is no fruit. And this, of course, is an image of the Jews. He had been preparing them for a very long time. And yet, despite all the preparation, they refused to bear any fruit. And that is mainly because the soil of their heart was filled with rocks. It was hard. It was shallow. It was desolate. In other words, the Jews, for so many centuries, did not prepare their hearts to bear any fruits. So then we know the Lord will then reject the Jews. He curses the fig tree, and he goes to seek another soil. That will be the Gentiles. That would be the rest of us who the Lord can cultivate fruit in our heart. And what's so interesting is the Lord gave the Jews the law as a means that they would learn holiness coming out of Egypt and seeing all their customs and seeing how they lived there, even the way they did agriculture, learning about their gods, their traditions. Moses was worried that the Jews would not know who the true God is, so he gave them orally a tradition. He gave them Genesis. He told them what happened in the beginning, and he gave them a story regarding the patriarchs. And through that story, the Jews learned their history, and their history was intimately with God. They were to be chosen, they were to be called, so that they could bear fruit. And we see even in the Levitical law, which Moses received on Mount Sinai, we find 
commandments and statutes for the purpose of holiness. Oh, what does that mean? The Jews were living in such a worldly place for so long, but now they are entering the presence of God. They need to learn what it means to be holy because God calls them saying, be holy as I, the Lord, your God, am holy. So they are taught through essentially what are very basic things. They're given laws regarding offerings. They're giving laws regarding ordination. They're given laws regarding cleanliness. Don't touch this thing. It's not good for you to touch, but you can touch that thing. That thing is fine. To teach them discernment, what is holy and what is not. He gave them an image of atonement, and that's really going to be the image that we're going to focus on for the next few days as we approach uh, the Great Friday, the offering of our Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. He gave us a holiness code as well. He gave us laws regarding purity, laws regarding feasts, days of the Lord. But now what's so interesting to contemplate on is when we think about offering, and we're going to return to this point about the Jews and mankind's response to what our Lord Jesus Christ did, this problem of sin, which we see in the very beginning of Scripture. Now when we look at the creation of Adam and Eve and the creation of the world in general, we find that all things are good. But what does that mean, that God makes something and he observes it and he says, this thing is good? What does that mean? God isn't looking at aesthetics. He's not looking at its beauty. Rather, he's looking at its core utility. What does that mean, core utility of a thing? Each aspect of creation would demonstrate who God is. If we look to Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For the hidden attributes of God are visible in the creation, that no one would be without excuse. Now, if we keep reading in Romans from there, we would find the horror of sin. That mankind falls and his mind has fell. But where did that all begin? I believe we heard this, the, the homily of the eve of Tuesday, we spoke about suffering, and we spoke about how death has entered the world through the envy of the devil, as we see in our liturgy. And we also read, I believe it's in Romans chapter 5, perhaps verse 12, that through one man's sin, death has entered into the world. So now there's two questions. What is sin, and how can it be that one person can sin, and now we find that all humanity is in that condition, that fallen condition of sin, the condition of death, if you would. So sin comes from a Greek word, hamartia. What does that word mean? A few lexicons and a few different dictionaries will define it as missing the mark. So how, how do we apply that to 
what happened with Adam and Eve. They had a goal, right? They had, they had an objective they were trying to reach. They wanted that relationship with God. They wanted to be like him. And they could have done that. It would have been through obedience. But they missed the mark. Because the thing was, their, I guess their aim turned. Before there were sin, mankind was centered upon God. But then we see when it came to their own desires, ooh, that fruit looks very tasty. It's pleasing to the eye. I want to eat it. Suddenly, I begin to look to myself. I become my own goal and my own objective. I went from being God-centered to being me-centered. And it is because of the self that I miss the mark because I'm no longer aiming for godliness, but I'm aiming for something so much lower, myself. But then we find the other question that we have. Okay, we define sin, but how can it be that by one man's sin, death has entered into the world? I guess we can go about this in two different ways. But I suppose an easier one is we might find it unfair that by one man's sin, death entered into the world. Okay, that's fine. But how about through one man's sacrifice, death is defeated, that we all receive life through grace, and grace in grace, and that we have eternal life in our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, that sounds excellent. But is it fair? Is it fair that the Lord would have to come and die on behalf or because of my choice for my sake? It doesn't make sense, really, because I think in our own lives, we have sinned. We have all fallen short. So in many ways, we do deserve death. That makes much more sense than one who is without sin dying. And this person is God. God, the creator, dying for his creation. That, that makes no sense. And yet, that is the reality that we see. And yes, although nature fell, and no, we're not all guilty of Adam's sin, no, but rather as a race, as a humanity, as a collective body, we have all fallen short. We have been separated. We are now born into sin, as David mentions in uh, Psalm 50 in the Septuagint. In sins I was conceived, and in sins my mother bore me. Oh, that's a very tough thought. We think childbirth is very beautiful. It is. But then we find our beautiful daughter born into sin. Well, thank God there is a second birth, which is baptism. But returning to our point, we find, yes, man has fallen. Man is in this condition of death, but our Lord Jesus Christ, out of the manifestation of his love, didn't want that to be the case. And there's so many reasons why he will not let mankind just perish. 
Imagine God just creates us and the devil allows us to fall into sin. He tempts us. And his creation is defeated. Well, God doesn't look very good because of that. God looks very weak, in fact. What, he couldn't save us? That's not, that doesn't sound like a description of God at all. Or maybe he just says, well, you know, that's not the case that you will die. Well, then God is a liar. I thought you were the way, the truth, and the life. How can you also be a liar? Well, God's not a liar. So that can't be the case. We find that there must be a death. There must be a death. And that's what we are looking at in these coming days from, from tomorrow, from Covenant Thursday and going into Great Friday. Our Lord Jesus Christ could not die unless he took a body because, well, spirits don't die. Only a body can die. So our Lord takes a body and he goes forth to die for us. But he doesn't die right away because he wants to teach us the ways of salvation. It's kind of like if, if we had our own city and it's just, it's not well managed. Sure, someone could come and they could fix the city and then they can leave. But then because we don't know how to manage the thing, it falls. So what does he do? He would go into the city and he would teach every person this is how we run a city, and this is how the different industries work and the different or levels of organization. So now we will have a great city, and yes, he will still come, and yes, he will still establish that city as a great thing, but the city will continue. The Lord didn't immediately go to the cross, but rather he presented himself to mankind, and this is why we see the very first thing, the theophany, the revelation of the Trinity. We see God manifest before us. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And mankind views Christ. And to the Jews, they, they can't accept it. Look at them. They tried every single way to kill him. Why? Because they didn't understand that the purpose of their law was not justification. They really wanted to follow the law in such a way where they would be justified, where they could be righteous unto the law. And it's like, sure, I guess you could try, but that's not the purpose of the law. The law is a tutor. The law shows this is tough. This is hard. Sin leads to death. And if I'm in the condition of death, then I need a savior. That's where the law should have taken them. And maybe that's why Mary saw Christ and was willing to break the spikenard oil upon him. Very costly perfume, an entire year's salary, my goodness. And break it upon his feet because she had such great faith. Meanwhile, Judas is willing to give up Christ for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver, that, that is the cost of a slave. He's willing to sell the Lord for the cost of a slave 
because that's as much as God meant to him. The Jews sought justification, but God did not come for the purpose of justification, if you would. He came for the purpose of redemption, the purpose of forgiveness. He came to be a humble servant, and that's an incredible image we'll see tomorrow, the washing of the feet. The disciples were really shocked and surprised. It's not the activity of our rabbi to wash our feet. This is supposed to be the job of the most lowly of all the different servants. And he says, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you, can't, then you will not be able to enter the kingdom. Lord, not just my feet, but every other part of my body, wash. And he gave us an example, an example of serving others. And it is that love and that servitude that led to our Lord offering himself upon the cross on our behalf. So then we are not the ones who die. Yeah, there, there is a death, but the death of your servant is only a departure. That's what we say in the litany of the departed. That for the death of your servant is only a departure. That there is a resurrection of the soul in baptism and that we look forward to the resurrection of the body in the last day. So let's review, see what we spoke about today. We spoke a bit about the hardness of the hearts of the Jews. Although God had been preparing and cultivating them to be a soil that could bear fruit, because they were more concerned with circumcising the body than circumcising the heart, they couldn't. They sought justification. And maybe that's why the Lord said, I demand mercy, not sacrifice. The Lord does not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, a broken and humbled heart God shall not despise. And that's what we see in the Lord rejecting the Jews, turning to Mary and accepting her offering, the spikenard, falling to the floor and washing the feet of the apostles, and as we'll see on Great Friday, carrying the cross, becoming sin on the cross, for our sake. To our Lord Jesus Christ belongs all glory and honor with his good Father and the Holy Spirit, and glory be to God forever. Amen.